the entire congregation. This is why we come to church. We come to share in one another's burden, in one another's joy, and we're preparing ourselves for that great worship experience that we will have up there, amen? This is why it's very important, church, for none of us to mess with another man's or woman's worship. When a worshiper comes to God, some may worship in silence, some may worship with a lot of noise, instruments. Let's not mess with anyone's worship. It is between the individual and God. You may not be able to understand it. It is like the story is told in the Bible when Hannah came and she was worshiping God. And the priest looked at this woman that was burdened. She was praying for a child. She wanted to be like any other productive woman. And she was praising God in a strange way to the point that the priest, the pastor, he thought that she was mad. He thought that she was local. And she declared that I am not mad. I'm in my right mind. I'm praising the God of heaven and earth. And we understand that shortly after the God of heaven and earth heard her prayer and brought unto her a child. Let's not mess with anyone's worship. As we come today, we come to worship. We are all from different cultures, different languages, but we come for one thing to lift the name of Jesus Christ up. It is about Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, we are people, we assemble together at this time. We wanna hear from you. We pray, Father, that you will connect us with the true essence of worship. Connect us with the Holy Spirit that is here to lead us and guide us into all truths, even into true worship. I'm just asking, Lord, that you will just lead us and guide us now, we pray, in the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Let the church say, amen. I read a statement the other day, and I want to open up with this, and I want you to listen to it very carefully. I'm going to read it twice, because I want you to understand what this is saying. It is saying, to the humble, believing soul, the house of God is the gate to heaven. The song of praise, the prayer, the words spoken by Christ's representatives are God's appointed agency
to prepare a people for the church above. For that loftier worship into which there can enter nothing that defileth. This is a preparation ground. We are being prepared for the true worship. The songs we sing, the prayers we pray, the words we hear from the word of God, the lifting up of Christ. It is all a preparation for the true worship that is going to be in heaven. I want us to understand what worship is about. It is very important for us to understand that worship is a truly a recognition of God's grace. It is truly uh, the gate to communion. Worship is an experience that God wants us to experience together corporately and individually. Amen? It is important when we look at worship within the context of the Bible, we see worship has different components. We have the prayer, we have the praise, we have the people mingling together, and we have the spoken word that pulls it all together. In the book of Revelation chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, we see worship being made and constructed at that time. It says the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before his throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of you, because of your will, they exist and were created. Revelation chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. Osei Garlington puts it this way. To worship is the act as an inferior before a superior. When I worship God, I am saying by my actions, God, you are better than I am. You are bigger than I am. You are more than I am. Worship is about laying it all down to God, recognizing the awesomeness, the grandeur of who God is. Amen? Robert Coleman puts it this way, true worship can only take place when we agree to God's sitting not only on his throne, but in the center of the universe, but on the throne that stands in the center of our hearts. 
It is all about where God is sitting. Amen? Yes, I know there are some that seek to ascribe worship to themselves. And it happens in every church right across this vast landscape. Individuals getting up to preach. Individuals getting up to sing. Or whatever they're getting up to do. They're getting up to have glory and honor to themselves. And that is not true worship. True worship is where Christ is the center of it all. True worship is where we, we allow God to be the audience, truly the audience, and we recognize the greatness of who he is. Amen? I want to encourage us, church, for us to understand that worship is an individual thing, but is also a corporate thing. So the question I ask today, who do you worship? Do you worship yourself? Do you worship your possessions? Or do you worship the God of heaven and earth? Who do you worship? Worship is not an event. It is an experience. Worship is communion. It involves an active response between God and man. Worship is not a one-way thing. Worship is, it, it, is a, it, it is response and it is reaction. Worship is a conversation. Worship involves all of that. Worship involves prayer, praise, and our person, our all. The scripture tells us in the book of Psalm 150, let everyone that have breath, let everyone that have breath do what? Praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Worship is not a noun. Worship is a verb. There's an action. When God created the heavens and the earth, we understand that there is a beat that is involved in it. There is, there is a sixth consistent beat. And there is a seventh rest. Six beats and a rest. And so from creation, God has created uh, worship in a way where, in a musical way, where we come into communion with God. And so there is six days to rest, but on the seventh, six days to work, sorry, but on the seventh, we rest. Now, that would be a bad thing if we are <laughs> resting for, oh boy, we don't want to have that, right? And so it's very important for us to understand what this is all about. It is all about God. God is the center of it all. If we allow God to be the center of our worship, guess what? There will be less judgment. Uh, there will be less pointing the finger. Did you see those drums? Did you hear how loud they sang? Sister Perkins, I know, Elder Perkins, you have to go to a funeral. We will be praying for you. May God bless you. We have to understand when God is recognized in worship, in Christ is the center of it all. We don't have time to look across and, and see a sister, you know, wagging her hand or, or closing her eyes or standing in the church and pray. We don't have time for that. When we allow 
Christ to be our focus and him only to be our focus and we are involved in that forget about judgment you know as a pastor I have gone through this over and over where sometimes uh, we have different groups in the church they gang up on me and say pastor how could you allow this to happen in your church why did you allow them to get up there like that and sing like that. Did you hear how loud they were singing? Did you hear how loud that bass guitar was? Did you hear that? You know, but what really intrigues me, I have individuals, some old individuals. I remember one man, he, is, he was about hitting 80 years old. And this man, he would say, hey, leave them alone. They're having an experience with God. Leave them around. Don't, don't touch them, right? And he, he stood up for them. And I, and I wonder, I said, you know, I, I sit with these individuals and I, and I find that these individuals, they have no time for the chitter-chatter or the gossip or whatever it is because their focus is on God. Amen? When our focus is in the right place, we have no time to judge anybody. We have no time to fault, find fault in anybody. And so what we got to understand, what worship is, worship transcends culture. Worship transcends languages. It, 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 it transcends, goes right across, whether it be language, creed, whatever it is. Worship has a way to do that. I remember when uh, my family, we were asked to pastor the Ghanaian Seventh-day Adventist Church. And we came, we grew up in a more predominant um, West Indian um, background church that was, you know, I would say more conservative in, in, in what they do. Uh, you know, they will be singing the hymns and so forth. But when we got to the Ghanaian church, I heard one lady lifted a note and, and then everyone started singing and everyone started dancing and everyone started swaying and they got into a circle and they were saying, Pastor, just follow along here. And we had to go around and we had and I found myself spinning around and all that and I was like, you know, <laughs> looking at my wife and I said, Where am I? You know. <laughs> But I learned very well that's the way they worship. That's the way they celebrated. That is the experience. I remember going to the oldest church in Canada called South Stukli Church. The church, the, the place where it all began. And, and I'll be preaching and there is no response. And I wonder, I said, am I saying, am I doing something wrong? You know, as sometimes as preachers, you're preaching and you're wondering if the message is getting across or they're just saying, man, get that kid off the pulpit, man. Get him out of here. And there is no one saying anything. There is no amen as I'm used to. There is no hallelujah or praise the Lord. They're just looking at you. And there is a frown. And I'm like, what's happening? What's happening, you know? And, and 
after the, the sermon, I, I, I felt like a failure. I said, man, I, I just better, you know, get my belongings and get out of here. <laughs> you know, at the line, I heard people say, you know, that was a good message. And they left. <laughs> and, I'm, and I realized over these years that different cultures worship in different ways. You see, there are different anthropologies. Cultural anthropology tells us about the different rights that people have, marital rights, death rights, you know, all kind of different, even, uh, even rights that would define when you eat or when you sleep and all of these various things and how you worship. And I realized that as a people, if we are going to be effective in our communities, we need to get to understand different people and the different anthropologies that they have been brought up in. And the more we understand that is the more effective we will be. If we want to understand the culture of Las Vegas, and I'm telling you, you have a different culture than the Northeast. And I had to find that out quickly, Sister Eva. <laughs> I had to find that out quickly, right? One of the things I know that Saturday night is not prime time. Back in the East, we will put on a program, have a concert, have a crusade, and we will start on Friday, on Saturday night. But I realized that you don't respond to that because you, you're doing something else on, 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 on Saturday night. <laughs> And Brother Troy, truth be told, I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> but I'm investigating. <laughs> we got to understand what worship is all about. And as we come together under this, sometimes we would not even figure it out until Jesus comes. But one thing we got to understand, we got to respect each other. So when we look at this whole subject of worship, we think of that text in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 14. In 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 14, it, we see leading up to that very text, leading up to that very, very text in verse 14, was something interesting because Solomon had, was uh, building this temple. Remember, uh, he had the goal of building the temple or the blessing of building the temple. His father, David, could not do it because he had too much blood on his hands. And the Lord says that it is Solomon that is going to be tasked to build this temple. And so Solomon took all the things that his father had stored up, all the things that he had bought, all the fine gold and the silver and the cloth and the wood and all of these things, and he worked together and he established and built the temple. And now the temple was finished. And it was time for dedication day. And so all the various things now uh, was being brought into the temple. And it tells us in verse 1, Thus all the work of Solomon that Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought all the things that his father, that David, his father, had dedicated the silver, the gold, the instruments uh, put among the treasures of the Lord. 
And then Solomon, verse 2, Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chiefs of the fathers, the children of Israel, unto Jerusalem uh, to bring up the Ark of the Covenant out of the city of David, which was in Zion. Wherefore, all the men of Israel, verse 2, verse 3, I hear pages turning still, verse 3, of 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 3. Wherefore, all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto the king in the feast, which was un, in the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took the ark, and they brought up the ark and the tabernacle of the child, of the congregation and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle. These did the priests and the Levites bring up. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto the, him before the ark sacrificed sheep and oxen which could not be told nor number for the multitude. The priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto his place, to the oracle of the house, into the most holy place, even unto the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread forth their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim covered the ark and the staves thereof, uh, thereof about. And they drew out the staves and the, of the ark, and the ends of the staves were seen from the ark before the oracle, but they were not seen without. And there it um, is, there it is unto this day. There was nothing in the ark save the two tables which Moses put therein in Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel and the children of Israel. All of these wonderful things, these holy vessels and bringing them into the temple and they were setting up the place of worship. But they were very careful that within the center of worship was the very decalogue, the very tables of stone written with the finger of God. That was the center of worship. We have to understand that within that place that they were placing the ark, the Shekinah of God, the glory of God was around the place. And so where God is, where God's laws is, where his presence is, that is where worship is being established. And so Solomon is setting this up because he knows the people need to have an understanding that it's not about the silver. It is not about the gold. It's not about this stuff, but it's about the presence of God. Amen? People, I want you to understand, as we look in this text and as you examine this text, it is very clear to us that God is setting an example for us, even in this modern time, to help us to know what true worship is all about. 
You see, true worship evolves. But what some of us try to do, we try to keep it static. Have you ever heard people saying, well, when I was back in Mississippi, when I grew up in North Carolina, uh, when I was in Georgia back in the 50s, we used to, they want to keep it that way. And we don't understand that true worship evolves. True worship adapts to the generation. True worship adapts to the music. True worship adapts to the hymns. The hymns that we call hymns now are not things that they call hymns back in the 1800s or in the 1600s. True worship evolved. It is dynamic. It is not static. And so what we have to understand is that we see here now this worship is being adapted. The way they used to worship in Egypt was not the same way they worship in the wilderness. That's not the same way they worship when the temple was established. We see there's an evolution of worship and God is the center and he dictates the changes. And so as God's people, we have to understand that our prayers, our utterances in our prayers and in our songs, in our sermonic discourse, in our examples, in our illustrations, it evolves. Back in the 50s, they didn't have illustrations like these. They would show these live things and all of that. They didn't have the technology. But the Bible tells us that knowledge shall surely increase. And if knowledge increased, the way we worship is going to change. But some of us, we are hell-bent. You notice I didn't say heaven-bent. We are hell-bent and keeping it down the way they worship in the 40s. Or the way we worship back in the 70s in Jamaica. I remember back in Jamaica, I grew up as a little child, and I heard my grandmother scolding her son and telling him, no reggae music should be played in this yard, in this house. No reggae music. And if the Jamaicans aren't, that's in the house. You could testify to that. Back in the 60s, back in the 70s, reggae music was an abomination in the house of God. And so you didn't hear no reggae rhythms or anything like that. And I had, I had a, a break from Jamaica when I left there in 1976. I think I went back in 79. And the last time that I went back from that time was, I think, 2000 and, was it, Anne-Marie, 2006? 2006 or something. It was about 23-year stretch. And so the Jamaica I left and the way they were worshiping back then was different to the Jamaica that I saw in 2006. And I remember I went to a church down in Montego Bay, and I went down sitting expecting the same type of worship that I used to experience way back then, 23 years. And I sat down, and I had to get up, because I was like, where am I? Because there was a group there, and they had the guitar and the drum, and they were just strumming the idol and beat, you know, this reggae rhythms, and I was like, what? I mean, and they were really playing and singing and what have you, and I said, whoa. And I realized 
that if you examine each culture, we see this evolution of worship. But let me balance this a bit. now in an era where you have these crossover songs. You ever hear these, you know, love songs, and you say, well, is it a love song or is it a Christian song? And you don't know where it is going, right? And you say, well, you know, maybe the person is singing to Christ, but no, maybe he's singing to his lover, and you don't know, right? And sometimes you're confused. Sometimes you get up there and you're hearing all this is a, you, this is K9105, and you're hearing this, this rocking noise and everything, you know, and, and, uh, and oh, this is our top Christian artist in the country, and you're, <laughs> whoa, but we don't hear the words. We can't discern what is being said and everything, and, and you look at these guys, and they are pierced all over, and we, oh, we love the Lord, and, and you don't know what they're singing. I mean, one of the things we have to understand is that when we come to worship, God wants us to come to worship, but they, you have to discern what is happening. you got to hear it. You, know, you get what I mean? We, we can't just be caught up in a rhythm and our, and our beat and all of that. We have to be able to hear the words. And that's one of the principles that I go by. I listen to all kind of music, CCM, gospel, country. listen to it, right? You know, Jim Reeves, right? Okay, you know, I, I, I had to adapt to that because I had a mentor whenever we traveled, it was Jim Reeves or <laughs> no music at all. <laughs> so I went to the Jim Reeves, you know, and I used to have to wind down the window to keep awake because, you know, the song just lulls you to sleep. And I don't understand why people could drive to that stuff, right? You know, I want to drive to a Kirk Franklin or something like that, you know. You know, you want to, and you want to crank it up, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's me. That's the culture that I grew up with, right? But what we got to understand, as we come into this arena, we must be able to understand what is being said able to, in a sense, spiritually sensitize what is being said and apply it in a spiritual way. And so the application of a song to you may be different to me. But because it is different to me, should I judge your song? The way Sister Thompson, Elder Thompson prays, where's Elder Thompson? She's, is she, where's Elder Thompson? Oh, she's, yes, she's helping, she's preparing on the other side. The way Elder Thompson prays, I can't pray that way. She prays with this, ex, you know, I mean, I can't even explain it, right? But the way Elder Brown prays may not be the way that Brother Spivey prays. But that's an experience. So do we judge it and say, well, that guy didn't pray? Or the way this pastor preached, this Jamaican, Canadian, slash almost American pastor preaches. You say, man, that guy don't throw down, man. You know, he don't hoop and holler, you know, like we want. 
I have one thing and one desire, and it's to praise the Lord. And I'm not someone that goes on online or wherever and say, okay, I have to sound like that. I want to sound the way the Lord wants me to sound. Amen? And I want to encourage us as we come together into this church, into this house of worship, you're going to have different types of songs. You're going to have different types of prayers. You're going to hear different types of prayers and, 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 and preaching and all of that. But guess what? We're all heading in one direction. But I reserve the right as a, ma as a pastor if I hear something up here that don't sound right, that I know that devil, the devil is in it, you better believe it, right? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on my track shoes, right? And I'm going to rush the pulpit, <laughs> and I'm going to remove it, you know? And I hope the elders are behind me, right? Sometimes we need to cause a scene. If the devil is in your house, and the devil is trying to take over your pulpit or take over your choir or your instruments, you've got to remove him. You get what I'm talking about? And so we need to have some principles in terms of what we do. So we have to, it has to be discernible. And so when we see Solomon now pulling the, all these, uh, the dedication and all the instruments, everything together, and it says in verse 11, and it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, for all the priests that were present were sanctified and did not wait uh, by course. Also the Levites, which were the singers, and all them of Asaph and Hemon of uh, uh, Jebedon, um, with their sons and their brethren being arrayed in fine linen, having instruments like cymbals, psaltery, and harps, stood at the east, at the east end of the altar, with them a hundred and twenty priests sounding. Now I want you to get this scene. They were instruments. There were instruments banging. There were instruments blowing. There were string instruments. There were all instruments with the voices and everything. It was a grand celebration. And they were celebrating. In verse 13, it says, it came, it came even to pass as the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voices with the trumpet and the cymbals and the instruments of music and the praise of God, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And they were singing unto God. Everyone un understood it. The instruments did not drown out the singers, nor did the singers drown out the instruments. They were as one, making praise to God, for he is good, for his mercies endure forever. That when the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, 
so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. And you got to get that scene. These guys had come together and they were praising God. They were one. They had synchronized. They had practiced. Just as we have heard, we heard the mass choir. Didn't they sound great? I mean, they were as one. We heard the instruments. We heard the voices. We heard the different parts and everything. And if anyone slipped up, I didn't know. Maybe Sister, uh, <laughs> Sister Brown did, but I didn't hear anything. It was all one, praising God. It was one voice, one praise, praising to one God. And as they came together and everything was intermeshed, we saw what it says that the cloud, God says, that's enough. I got to come. I got to show up. And the Shekinah glory of God came down and filled the house. God says, I'm going to hijack this worship. I had appointed someone to preach, but listen, this is too good. God came down himself and he filled the house. All the Levites, all the 120 of them, all the priests, everyone, they were awed by what they saw. But God came down in the cloud. The Shekinah glory of God filled the house and they were worshiping. They were praising God. They were playing their instruments. And they were respecting one another. This is the worship that we, abundant life, should aspire to. This is exactly what we should try to attain on every Sabbath. And that statement that tells us that every single thing that we do, whether we preach, whether we pray, whether we sing, it is all a preparation for that loftier worship that we will experience in the kingdom of God. Amen. And that's why it's very important, church, for us not to judge anyone's worship, but to encourage each other, to allow God to bring out the gifts that we can come together as one, praising God. And so we have the congregation, we have the choir, the choir congregation, we need to praise God. We need to allow God to loose himself in this place. If God is loose in this place, I'm telling you, problems, healing will be met. Brother Kent, the Lord, he wants to do so much, but we are holding him back. He wants to do so much, but some, what we are trying to do, we want to hold on to the old tradition, not knowing that we are making tradition now. God, he wants to show up. But we are refusing and holding him back. And God wants to do so much in our lives. And so church, the spirit tells us in the book of Romans, as Paul writes, Romans chapter 8, verse 26, the Holy Spirit, he helps our infirmities. But not only our infirmities, he wants to help our worship. He wants to help us in our situation. Romans chapter 8, 26. The Spirit, he also helps our infirmities. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. We do not know what to praise for as we ought. We do not know what to preach for as we ought. 
It is the Spirit, but the Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. If we allow the Holy Spirit to just take control of our worship, take control of our preaching, take control of our praying, take control of our praising, Sister Tiffany, if we allow God to do that, can you imagine what abundant life will be like? The most conservative person coming in church and sitting in the back of the church with their nose high, they will come. And if they are true worshipers, they could say, I got something today. The most liberal worshiper rolling up and down the pews and, or wherever it is and spinning around could come in and say, well, man, I got my praise on. Why not? That's what heaven is going to be about. All of these categories of people, whether you're ultra, left wing, almost drowning in the sea conservative, to the most extreme liberal, almost dropping off over a cliff, right? <laughs> it don't matter whatever you are. God is calling you all to come together for one thing, to lift the name of Jesus high. So why don't we just praise him? Why don't we just praise the name of the Lord? You know one thing that, as I close, you know one of the things that I hate? everything together, but sometimes we plan God out of our service. We have it all set, and you know, we are walking around with clipboards and everything, and there's no room. Oh, Holy Spirit, hold on. We got to get this program on and everything. And we do all of these things, and there is no room for the Holy Ghost. There is no room for spontaneity. You know, I like when we come together, and uh, it's not planned, but the Holy Spirit can just touch somebody, and Brother Ellis could say, hey, man, he just strike up a tune, and then Sister Kyra, or Sister Brown, uh, or, you know, our Brother Dennis, or Brother Henderson, or any of our singers could come and just, boom. I remember one time, someone did it here. I think it was Sister, Sister Morris. I had just finished, just coming down off our sermon, and Sister Morris came to the mic and started to sing. And I said, whoa, praise the Lord. Worship, guys, needs to be spontaneous. We got to allow the Holy Spirit to move. We got to allow the Holy Spirit to just take up his place in our church. I don't want to come to a church where everything is just like, you know, and, and we have these constipated Christians just sitting down, you know. We don't want that. We want the Holy Spirit to move, amen? We want God to be alive. We want God to be real in this house. Amen? And I want to encourage us, church, please. I want to challenge you over the next couple of weeks. I mean, you may be a singer and you want to be in the choir, join the choir. Amen? Huh? I mean, we want it to be real. You're never going to hear me singing because that's not my gift. Unless the Holy Spirit pinches me and gifts me for a moment, right? But that's not my gift. But 
I want to encourage us. We got to come together and we got to have a worship experience coming with all that we've got. Praising the Lord because he is worthy to be praised. Amen. How many of you guys want to get your praise on? If you want to praise the Lord, I want you to stand with me. I'm almost saying, Sister Brown, you need to do something. Brother Dennis, you need to do something. We got to learn what it is to praise God. And church, there are individuals in this house today. Unfortunately, you just came today just to be entertained. But God is calling you into a brand new experience. He wants to activate you. He wants to move you from complacency into active Christian militant work. And I want to encourage us. And today I want to open the house, open the doors. God is calling somebody today to say, listen, I'm going to step out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And God, I want you to use me. I want to use me in your worship. I want to use, I want you to use me in, in whatever gifts you have given me. I want to step out and I want to say, God, I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to dedicate my talents, my gifts to you. If this is your desire, I want to have a Jesus, I invite you.
you're on the scene here in this place, and God says, listen, today, I want you to step out of your pew. I want you to come down to the front and give your life to Christ today. God is calling you. He's calling you. You have wandered far away from God, but now today is the day of deliverance. Now, today, you want to give it all up to God. If this is your desire, young lady, young man, slightly older, God is calling you. Will you not come to God today? Will you not surrender your life today?